Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are finally back with another program on the shoulders of giants with Rabbi Shmuel Bloom. On this program, we're going to be talking about such an important topic, the topic of Das Torah. You know, life throws so many questions at us, big and small, and we need to know what to do. So, right, we could look at it from our perspective, you know, what looks like the right or wrong thing to do, but what does the Torah say about it? If you want to live a true Torah life, you need to know what does the Torah say in each situation. So, we are going to be with Rabbi Shmuel Bloom, who for the past 70 years has been involved in leadership positions, starting as a close Talmud of both Rev. Yaakov Yitzchuk Ruderman and Rev. David Kronglass in the Yeshiva of Ner Yisrael, working as the executive director in the Yeshiva in St. Louis, and then joining Agudas Yisrael in America, which he was for over 35 years, working on a daily basis with Rev. Moshe Sher and Gedoli Yisrael, and even after he retired, he still is constantly involved in so many important, important projects for the from community, such as Yeshiva Sar Sameach, Temech, Karen Ashvias, even had a huge part in the planning and organizing of the massive MetLife Stadium, Sia Mashas, and so much more. So I am super excited to have him really learn and dive deep into many topics that involve Das Torah. So... Today's episode is going to be more of an introduction. We're going to get to know Rabbi Bloom, his life story. I am very, very excited. And another big thing is we launched our website, jfoundations.com. There you could get our podcast, both in video and audio. We have a few other podcasts as well. So go check it out. Now let's get to the first episode of On the Shoulders of Giants with Rabbi Shmuel Bloom. I'm Yisrael Lietkowski. You are listening to the Foundations Podcast. Nice to be here. Be so, so proud of the work of my my grandson. You saw yeah, uh, we can do. We help, and he should be able to have the schus to be able to help call Yisrael for many years. Amen. Amen. So let's start. We have uh, you know many episodes. We're going to dive deep into many different topics and areas in life that you had uh, you know dealing with daily Israel. But uh, today's episode is going to be more introductions, just in general about your life. So uh, let's go back and, you know, back when you were a kid growing up in America, how was it? Well, uh, let me trace back to uh, a story. I was uh, standing outside Leviah Mekayan. So I can't go to Leviah's. But Rip Sidney Greenwald, Choshev Abalabos, was nifter. And I was standing outside the Leviah. And the Rebbes don't like to go to, into the into the Metame in, 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 the, in, the, in the Ohel by Leviah. So the Kosenberger Rebbe was standing outside. And we were talking, and with a few other Balabatim, and the Kozenberger Rebbe said that almost every family that you find came to America in the early years and remained Shemitah Mitzvahs, it started with a bracha from a Rebbe. Wow. And it can always be traced. And he was told the story with Rebbe Sidney Green, which I don't remember, but there was such a story. And the Greenwell family, we've had so many... So many special people uh, have done so much for Klai Yisrael in the family. Is, but I told them the story with my family. My father was a 19-year-old boy, in young man in, in, in Hungary, and lived in a little village. Uh, went to yeshiva in, in, in a little bit larger village. Um, spends all his time uh, 
Uh, by the time he was 13, 14 years old, he was already working in the family farm, um, had a timber, uh, t- timber, they lived in this village, there wasn't a sh- there's no minion on Shabbos. Is wow. that if they needed a minion that to bring people to be the, 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 the family people, they were showing the family were showing yeah. mm-hmm. and my father said he wanted to go out to, to the uh, do something in the, in the, in the world um, he liked to go to America 19 year old boy go to America his father said are you crazy trade for America yeah, it's and not like today they have Lakewood no, and Borough Park and Yeshivas and right uh, there was there was there it was still Shabbos so on you're going to go to America, what are you going to do? He was against it. My father wanted to go. So they made up, they'll go to Rav Shaya Likerestir. Rav was a Balmephus. He was the leader of Hungarian Jewry for 30, 40 years. This was the year before he was Nifta. Mm-hmm. And I actually went one year to the yard site of Rav Shaya and I stood in the room that my father and his father probably oh, went wow. to ask Rav Shaya what to do. Wow. And my father explained why he wanted to go, and his father explained to him why he didn't want him to go. And Rabshayel listened, and Rabshayel said, As the Bocha will gain, it's all again, is Vedzain good. If the Bocha wants to go, let him go, it will be good. Rabshayel made many, many nisim. Many, what he was really mal, about maybe his whole books filled with stories of the, the nisim of Rabshayel Kerastir. But I think yeah. this is one of the biggest myths. A 19 year old boy comes to America. There he comes, he went to his sister who was in Detroit. She had married an American soldier, and that's why she went there. Mm. And her, her, he was a Jewish, you know, the... he was Jewish, a Jewish mm. the soldier. And uh, his name was Martin. And um, uh, he went to my aunt in Detroit. She, another sister had come along with her. My grandmother didn't want one sister to go alone to America, so she sent mm-hmm. her sister together with her, but she went there and she was living in Detroit. So she went to Detroit, and uh, they were welcomed. They greeted their brother. Uh, fine, why do you go to study? He's a ninety-year-old boy. You have to go to work. Right? Yeah, what are you going to gonna do? do? Yeah. So she got him a job, Ford Motor Company. That was the big, wow. the big, big employer in in, in in Detroit at that time. It was making it's cars. Like Tesla today, you know, the, the big American. Is except at that time, Ford Motor Company worked on Shabbos. Mm. So they told my father, "You have to work on Shabbos." And he went to his sister and said, work, come work on Shabbos. It is America. In order to be able to live, you have to have parnosa. Some people say it's because nefesh. Right? You, have to, you have to have food on the table. So therefore, in America, you're allowed to work on Shabbos. My father wasn't satisfied with that. He couldn't wow. accept that. So he ran away. He went to his sister who lived on the east side. And there uh, he worked in, there he worked his way up. He got little jobs. Ultimately, he had a grocery store. Uh, the depression you know, goes uh, beyond the, that. The other stories, uh, wow. but that's um, but but he started he, his his strength for for Shemir Shabbos and for keeping Shabbos was, was so strong. It's, it's so amazing, also that like he came from his sister. It's not that he went and he didn't know what to do and he tried to find a job and he just couldn't find a job. So it's like even like his family, the close people to him that he was staying by, they were telling him to you know there's nothing else he could do. It's pikuach nefesh, so you know we probably could even though. But even that, just that when right. he was 19, you know, a young guy. It's not right. uh, and that it's beautiful. And that and that the bracha from the uh, from the keres from the keres there the keres it's it's good. It will be good. We wrote on his matzeva that he was nifter at 96 years old with close to 100 Jetsi Chalotav on close to 100 wow. people Shemitah Remitzvah. So, so the, it starts with 
the message from the Gdele Yisrael and the Brocha from the Gdele Yisrael make a difference. Wow. And how, when did he get married? Uh, it was after he, he came to America? Yes, he came to America. Now, he arrived in January 1924. I believe, maybe a month apart, in January 1924, my mother arrived as a 13-year-old girl. Wow. Um, and she arrived in a different boat, different time. Her father was a Rav. And he had been, he had come to America two years before. He set things up. And then he brought his family uh, over to, to America. And she came in as, as a girl, young girl, went to night school, went to work for the Kevelson Tie Company um, and uh, as a bookkeeper. Uh, she learned bookkeeping. And she and they're also a tremendous battle for Shemir Shabbos. Um, she told, she came with her whole family. She, but she came with her whole family, and her father was a row. Mm-hmm. Her father was a big Talmud Chacham, a Machaber Sorim. His father was a Bote Din. He had a radio program. He had a radio wow. program where he was in Dayan. People would come to him for the asking questions. Asking yeah. questions and so on. And, and, uh, and Din Terrorist. He was able to do Terrorist. Like live sides, on radio? Like, like live on the radio. So maybe and they could have used our studio. That's right. right. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe it's in your genes also. Ah, you get yeah, the, there you go. Right? So, so we had it. But she went um, for the summer for two or three weeks to the Zionist camp. And she and her sister were the only two Shemr Shabbos in the camp. Wow. So you can imagine what it is. Everybody's going out and everybody's doing things. And you're there and, and she's sitting in a room on Shabbos and keeping Shabbos. There wasn't any like camps or for for from people back no, then. Or? Not until the 1940s. Was there such a? Mm-hmm. I think Camp Yeshiva was the first Camp Aguda. These are the first camps they started for children who came over from Europe. Ones mm-hmm. from Holocaust. Started, Holocaust. But this whole concept, which is so natural to us, that during the summer the children go away to the camp and under a good atmosphere, which is sometimes even more important than what they have. During the year, sometimes they're not good in learning, but they, they're good in sports, they're good in other things. It, it builds up the children. This whole concept of a from camp didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And there they went, and, and, they, they, and they worked. They worked when they were young. No child labor laws came later. Well, like right? Young, like, well, like yeah. even as a 16, children? 17, uh, 18 18 years old, they, they worked. It's a bookkeeper. Father started a grocery store. Um, ah, that's the blooms that eventually turned until today. They have the like some candies the, and snacks the, and well, stuff. Well, have blooms, the, the grocery store actually um, went bankrupt mm-hmm. and he paid off all his debts. But then he went to, as a salesman, the Chase Noodle Company. From there he went to um, these wholesale groceries, sold into grocery stores. He was a good salesman. People liked mm-hmm. him. He went around from his grocery store. And ultimately he took bulk candy and packaged it into smaller packages and sold it as bloom packing. Bloom, this is all kosher. Bloom, so bloom, 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 the, uh, the, he had some which had a chair and some didn't have a chair. It was, it was a different, mm. different world. Well, we're not enough customers if you only sell no, the kosher. No, you looked at the ingredients. Ah, it's you like in Europe in a lot of places. I was in yeshiva mm. in, uh, in uh, Switzerland for uh, back in the day, a couple of years ago mm. in Dira. So, was, you know, like you go online, there's an official website and like there's a list of all the kosher items you could buy in the store. But you walk into the store, there's no echsherim on any other thing. There's also like a kosher, like makolet, that they only bring in kosher items, plus they like sometimes bring in stuff from Merit Yisrael. But I guess back in the day in America, it was also the same. There definitely was no website. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) And no way to check. And you read the label. That's the way the people at that time, that that was the level of kashas they had. 
They read the label. If there was no gelatin in it, there was no tray for things in it, they ate it. Um, so that's, uh, then later he started having, as the community grew and as the, as the cautious information, you know, he started getting hechsherim on, 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 on his candies and put them on the label. So let's move on to when you were born and growing up, um, you know, where you went to school and, you know, how much, I mean, obviously it's so beautiful to hear, you know, both of your parents, just the, the power and, and, and push they had to keep Shabbos and to become Shomer Torah Mitzvahs, like how, like how much you felt it in the house and how much, uh, do you feel that like it influenced you growing up? Well, it certainly influenced, but there was a period of growth. They, they had no education. There was no Beis Yaakov, the girls. There was no, uh, uh, my father left the Shiva when he was young really didn't have an education. What changed or what developed, besides their strong feeling for, for Terran Yiddishkeit and for Shabbos, what began to change is when I was going into first grade. We lived in Crown Heights. And in Crown Heights, there were no, no boys-only yeshivas. Crown Heights Yeshiva was a day school there, had boys and girls together. Like it was Jewish studies, but Jewish studies. He was even from the, a lot of there's a um, a lot of Hushar people came from there. Mm-hmm. Right? They they grew out of it, but that was the that, that was the school that was co-ed. There was the beginning of a field that mainly told me the most time Berlin, Rafutner and so on guided that we should have. It was the beginning of the Torah Surah, and Torah Surah was first starting then to have a day school to have a yeshiva katana that was only that was, it was for boys only. Really, she. So, Rabbi Paperman was the first, Rabbi Aaron Paperman was the first principal, and there was a group of parents who decided they were going to build the Sishiva. And they, um, my parents felt that this is the place they wanted me to go. Um, my older brothers had gone to places out of, one, to, out of the neighborhood. And here, they, here we're going to have in the neighborhood, a few blocks from the house, they're going to have a, a yeshiva they can send to. I remember probably my first memory is I was crying because I didn't want to go to first grade. I was supposed to go to kindergarten and Rabbi Papen said I should go to first grade. I wanted to go to all that extra work. I wanted, I wanted to play in kindergarten. Yeah, you wanted to right? play. I don't want to work here. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, but I went to the first grade and the school started to develop. After two years, Rabbi Papen left and Rabbi Milach Silva became the principal. And it was a group of parents who were working to build a Mysore. Mm-hmm. So they worked together with Rabbonim and they worked together with the, the people, the, the, the Rabbeim and, 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 and the administration, and they got to understand what a ben Torah was and what Torah is and what a Tzir Shemayim is. And, and they began to grow from that experience of working for Torah. My father would go on, on Utica Avenue and Crown Heights uh, one night a week, and he would go and, and, and get $2 and $3 ads for the, for, for the journal. Is in order to, to put together to help raise the money for the for the yeshiva, ultimately he became the president of the yeshiva, and they respected his his, his abilities. That the oil f- flows to the top, and 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 uh, as a very special he, he he worked. But whatever he worked for the school, whatever he worked for the yeshiva, the yeshiva Eastern Parker, which later was changed to yeshiva Zichron Ramayla, Ramayla Silva was Nifty Young. Whatever he worked, he got back. In, in loads because he learned so much from it and he became an entire he the, and, and and he started learning and ultimately when he was able to to retire he 
he, he learned in a kail. He started a kail for Balabatim in, in, wow. in the five towns. He started, he went to a kail in, in Yerushalayim when, when he was able to come here. So he developed that, and that ruach that he developed, he gave over to the children. Mm-hmm. Right? The Chafetz Chaim was his favorite safer. He would always talk the Meisim from the Chafetz Chaim. Yeah, it's beautiful. Also. We have also on our website, we have on J Foundations, we have a, a David Chafetz Chaim share as well, the okay. podcast and on YouTube videos. Right, not so yeah. much the halachas of Loshavara, mm-hmm. which is also important, but the stories. The uh, Torah is the best of scaries, Torah is the best merchandise. And he had the story in Yiddish, the stories of the Chavetz Chaim, the stories of him, and he would always tell us over those stories. He would be uh, giving that over to us. And, and, and that. Mm-hmm. So that, 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 that was a development which changed ultimately the neighborhood. And also, when there were decisions after me, that was the president of the yeshiva, he would be miyashiv with Rav Rotlam. Rabbi Zakutman of Hashim Chaim Berlin was the guiding light for the Yeshiva Eastern Parkway. <clears throat> and most of the Talmidim, most of the Rabbeim, there were some from Mir Yeshiva and others, but mostly from, maybe from Chaim Berlin. And all of a sudden, you had to come um, to, to our Yeshiva and present the case and see the power of Das Torah, to see how the Torah looks at different issues. As this is... Uh, um, I, I was uh, by my bar mitzvah. Before my bar mitzvah, um, my father took me to Rav Hutna had a, uh, during the summer, he was like a, a bungalow in, 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 in Far Rockaway. And um, he took me to say my pill pool, brought some cake and schnapps to Rav Hutna, and, uh, and, and he asked me to, you know, to, to, to came to get a bracha from, 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 from Rashima. And when I was there, he like surprised me a little bit because my father davened in place with the davened nusachsvarim, but he quietly to himself the way the halacha is himself he davened Ashkenaz because his parents davened Ashkenaz. I didn't know that because I thought he was davening svarim. No, because that's where that's the shul he went to. The shul he went to, and that's what he was doing. Even whatever he was doing out loud, he was doing nusachsvarim. Mm-hmm. So I would say, Kaddish, he would say Yasser Bakurne, right? He would say. So I assumed also that I was going to dive in the Sosvar. I go there, my father clicks around, tells Rafutna that he has a problem with his son. I said, well, what kind of problem do you have with, with your son? He says, my father dive in Ashkenaz, my grandfather dive in Ashkenaz, and my son wants to dive in the Sosvar. So I was a little bit taken aback, but we looked at Rafutna, what was Rafutna say? So Rafutna said in his great wisdom, he said, you're 13 years old. What do you know the difference? Ashkenaz, fire, and so on. Your father davens Ashkenaz, daven Ashkenaz till you're 18 years old. When you're 18 years old, you'll understand the difference. You'll know what it is. At that point, he says, if you want to change the fire, at that point, you can you can change the fire. He's a very very wise man. So of course, when I was 18, I was in Yeshiva. I wasn't davening. I wasn't davening fire anymore. So continue to daven Ashkenaz. You mentioned going to to Yeshiva when you were 18. What uh, how did that work? When did you go? Where the Yeshivas you were before? So I went to Chaim, I went to Shiv Eastern Park, right? For the seven, seven grades. Um, interesting enough, also, I was always the first, the, the, the top grade. It was the, I was the first, first grade. So I was in the first, second grade. I was first, third grade. Mm-hmm. Some of the rabbi moved along with us. I had Rabbi, rabbi Light and Rabbi Nsian Leitner, who later was, in, and we used to go visit him. Uh, yeah, I remember uh, right? a couple of times we used to go visit him. He was a, a 
a Talmud Amir Yeshiva in Europe who came over um, with the Mir. He came over with the Mir. He's actually originally from Germany, and he was a very, very special Rebbe. Uh, I had him in the third, fourth, and fifth grade. If you want to do an aside, after a number of years, he retired. He got the German reparations, and he, he retired, went to to, Yerusha, to Bnei Brak. Mm-hmm. And he became close to, to, to Rav Shach. Rav Shach made a speech, but it's the dangerous time. There was a big tumult with the, 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 the Arabs uh, uh, fighting wars and so on. It was, it's, 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 it's a Shah Sakana. And, and we have to do whatever we have to do, he spoke. And my Rebbe, Rebbe Sian Leitner, who was retired then, went home. He took a map of the Middle East and he drew a red line around Eretz Yisrael. And then he did blue around Egypt, and he wrote how many soldiers Egypt has. Blue around Jordan, blue around Iraq, blue around Iran, blue around Lebanon, all the nations of the world in that area that want to destroy Eretz Yisrael. They want to push them into the sea. And how many soldiers each one has? Millions and millions of soldiers, all surrounding this little dot in the middle, which, is, which was Eretz Yisrael. And he took it to Rav Shach, and he said, you say that now is a time of Sakona? Look at the way we're living. He says, this is, he says, all these groups, all the constant threat. You see that? You, 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 you see HaKadosh Baruch Right? You see HaKadosh Baruch uh, because without that, it couldn't exist. There's no way that we could exist with it. Rav Shach loved it. And he wanted a copy of the... At any rate, that was our Rebbe. So third, fourth, fifth grade, we had the same Rebbe. In sixth and seventh grade, Rebbe Schlemmer Prager. Also well, what happened <clears> after sixth grade? That he well, what happened was... What happened was... No, because we, 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 it was time to change. We, it was too much. Uh, too much. Too much, yes. But what happened was, at one point, I think when I was in the fourth or fifth grade, all of a sudden, they added two grades ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Like each year they were each adding, year they, so they started year. first, and then they had first and second, second first, second, and third, and then all of a sudden they jumped ahead. They jumped ahead with the fourth and fifth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I got a little bit insulted. I'm not in the oldest class there <laughs> anymore. But uh, later on, I found out what the story was. There was a Mrs. Schiller who had a son, Binyamin, that she wanted to enroll in the yeshiva. And she came and she brought him to the yeshiva. And Rabbi Malach Silber, in discussing with her, found out that she had a boy two years older who was in public school. Mm-hmm. Right? And he said, I'm not going to take Binyamin unless you also give me the older boy. Wow. And he didn't have a class for the older boy. So he had to make two new classes just in order, in order, just, to, just in order to bring that other boy to school. Wow. The older boy's name is Nata. He says, you're not the Shema. She was there, Samaya, who has thousands, maybe tens of thousands of Balai Shua come because of him. Well, because, and he had the support from the Balabatan. The Balabatan goes, we can't afford it, we can't do it. And I said, my father and others, they said, no, if this is what you feel we have to do, we're going to do. And what an impact that has on Christ. Wow. Did you see the power of one, you know, one person? One person, and the decision making. The Rebbe is compared to, to Kachavim. But Stiki Arabim Kachavim, it says. These are the so Rav Rudman used to ask, in what sense do you compare the, the, the Malamdi Tinakis to stars? And he said, if you see a child, you think if you see a star, 
it looks like a little twinkle in the air, in the sky. Mm-hmm. But really, it's, it's a whole world. Nice, to be yeah. bigger than the whole, bigger than the whole world. Is that's a child? Because you think he's just a little thing. It looks small. Malamdi Kinegas understand that this is Kikhovim. They're like stars. So all the you know, if if he grows, you know, depending on how he grows right. up, is after his children right. and grandchildren right. and great grandchildren. That in addition to so, that, right? right? Wow. Such a it's great. But even what each what, each, what an individual can do. An yeah. individual has the power of it to be able to do. I I heard uh, once uh, from my rabbi Rishul Brazil, uh, he was saying how, you know, the mitzvah of uh, you know you have six hundred and thirteen mitzvahs. Said you need a you can all the mitzvahs. Let's say you're a kohen, I'm not a kohen. So how could I be mekayim the mitzvahs of a kohen? Some right. people live in Eretz Yisrael, some people don't live in Eretz Yisrael. Different mitzvahs for these people. Some uh, mitzvahs are only for men, some mitzvahs are only for women. So, like, how is it possible for one person to be mekayim all six hundred and thirty mm-hmm. mitzvahs? So it says that if you influence someone uh, and support and help him to do it, so like you have a chelak in it, um, so it's nechshav as if like you have the schos of doing that mitzvah. Only if you connect and support and influence other people to different mitzvahs, that's mm-hmm. the only way Thank for you to get to six hundred and thirteen. And that's and he added on also that's why you know they say that the gematria of tzitzis is six hundred and thirteen i, but it's not really. It's less. He said because you add you know you add the the knots. So he said, like, uh, what shaykh it's not? It's like, you know, so you have sometimes if you have a gemash that doesn't work, so you say with the kailo, so, you know, you add one. But, like, to add five, because the not, like, what are we talking about here? Right. So he said that, that that's not good, because the whole lineage of tzitzis, the, the only way you could get to 613 is, is if you're is if you're tied Twice. to other people. Nice. So that's why you could only get to the gematria of 613 with the with the knots on the tzitzis, because that's what it is. You only get to 613 mitzvahs with with the connection to other people and influencing them. Very, very beautiful. I read yeah. like Rebbe of David Crowley's those. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Shokul connected Kol Kal Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu Chazal says, Shokul Kal Yisrael. Rav or Abayah says, one third of Kal Yisrael, a quarter of Kal Yisrael. How do you measure that? Hmm. How do you measure a person's worth, you know, the part of Kaiso? And he explained with this basic Yisod, how do we have Torah? How do we do mitzvahs? Because Meshach made a Torah to us. Yeah. So every mitzvah that we do is goes also for the of Meshach. So he's shocked to all of Kaiso. If somebody is sees to it that a city learns, learns Torah or does mitzvahs, then he's shuckled to the then he's weird, he's equal to that city. Right? So each person, yeah. that's how you tell the value is how much influence does a person have? How many people did he affect in his life and the things that he did? That's the value that the person has. And and also the Chazal said the schar that you get for that is if you do a mitzvah and then you have charot, the son of takes over or what you did with somebody else. When you talk to somebody else, doesn't it doesn't get lost. That's continue. Beautiful. So from there I went to Chaim Berlin. Mm-hmm. Learned Chaim Berlin for four years for high school. At the end of high school, I had the opportunity to get a New York State scholarship. But in order to do that, I had to spend, had to take at least twelve credits a term in college, which was a fairly heavy program. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bachram and Chaim Berlin, for the most part, learned to start him, and then at night went to Brooklyn College. Those who went to college. Uh, but they would take three credits, six credits, take 12 credits is, is hard with share the rest of the day of learning. And so I decided that I was going to take a year's leave of absence and I'm going to go to a yeshiva to learn. Looked at different yeshivas, um, uh, 
decided that Nei Yisrael would be good for me. I actually told Rav Hutner, I gave him permission to be able to go, and I wanted to go to Nei Yisrael. He says, I think it's a good idea you should take off the year, but I think there's a better yeshiva for you. Let me think about it. And then he didn't get back to me for a while. So finally, um, uh, I went to Camp Morris. He was out in Camp Morris, and I went to, to meet with him. And, and uh, uh, he said, why are you here? I said, well, you know, I want to take off the year. I want, I think maybe Yisrael is the best yeshiva for me. Um, so he said, so why are you here? So I said, because the yeshiva told me that maybe there's a better place. He says, is there no yeshivas on the ground? If you checked all the yeshivas <laughs> and do you want to go, he says, and that's the way you go. He says, I went, I went in there Yisrael for the year. I started off Kalevsky Shir, and because I had a chavrusa who I also had a chavrusa um, last year or two years ago, he, uh, Rapinchas Lipner was the principal in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I think for 50 years, I retired, he moved to, to, to Ramat Eshkol, and for a while I was learning Bechavrusa with him in Ersameach. I had the opportunity to go back. But he was he was older, and he was going up to Rav David Kronglas this year, um, Hanukkah time. So Hanukkah, I asked to go up together with him. They felt that I was, wasn't younger, you know, I wasn't older, and I didn't have to go, and so on. So it was a little bit of a battle, but in the end, that was my best Chavrusa. And they agreed that I should go to to, to go up from Rav Kolevsky Shia to Rav David Kronglas Shia the Mashkiach. Also on the side, um, the Mashkiach giving a Shia. Mm-hmm. Rav David Kronglas was a Mashpia on the German and American boys in the Mir. And one mm-hmm. of those boys was Rabbi Naftali Neuberger, who was the, the brother-in-law of the Rosh Hashiva and, and the executive director of um, uh, of, of uh, Yeshiva's Nei Yisrael. <clears throat> when he came back to the Yeshiva, he convinced the Yeshiva to bring Rav Dovah's Mashkiach. Mm-hmm. They saw, I said, actually an application that they tried to get him to come, but he'd be able to bring him to America in the ni- late 1930s. But it was too close to the war. They weren't able to get out in time. And he ultimately went to, to Shanghai and, 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 and was there together with the Meir Yeshiva. He was one of the first people to come out of Shanghai um, to, 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 to Japan, to, to America, because he had the invitation, he had a job waiting for him in Baltimore. So, mm. so, so he was able to so he came to Meshkir, he came to Meshkir, he comes to Baltimore, he meets the Rosh Hashiva, and uh, Rabbi Newberg introduces him, this is to Rabbi David Kronglas, and he's going to be the Meshkir, he accepts to be the Meshkir, and Rabbi David Kronglas says to him, says to Rosh Hashiva, okay, which year I'm going to say? So Rabbi Rudman looked at him and said, I'm hiring Mashkiach, I'm not hiring a Rebbe to say a Shia. He says, I know American Bachram. American Bachram won't have respect for a Mashkiach unless he's also a Talmud Bachram. If I'll be their Rebbe in learning, I'll be able to teach them, then I'll, they'll, they'll listen to me when I say my Shemuzim also. Okay, wow. so, and so they became a Rebbe. And he was why, a rebbe. Think, why don't you think that it's Taka thing that the Mashkiach is also a Rebbe, usually that... So, well, today, I think we've grown to the fact that we can understand that even if he's not a Rebbe, as long as he's, we're not talking about an Amoritz, but he's a Talmud Chochem, um, but uh, Reb Don Segel, the yeah. Mashkiach, yeah. told me that he, he wanted to be Rosh Hashiva. And Rav Shach told him, I'm pretty sure it was Rav Shach, Rav Shach told him, we have plenty of Rosh Hashiva. He said, well, we need a good Mashkiach. Mm. Right? He says, a Mashkiach to be magic, something. And Rabbanu Solomon, who was uh, a tremendous, had a tremendous influence on America, actually worked with Tarim Sura. So it's very, very important that every school have a mashkiach, or even at lower grades. You need somebody in addition to the person who's teaching the Torah 
He says a Rebbe can't, especially if class is too large, a Rebbe can't get involved with every every student that understand what's bothering them, what's in their kishkas, mm-hmm. and and how and how to elevate them. And for that, and for that, you need a mashkiach. Mm-hmm. And so they, they um, the term sir started a program for training mashkiachim and and helping pay for have mashkiachim and in. in uh, because it's another person uh, to have right another person and whose concentration is how is this child growing what are his problems what is he thinking he says that a Rebbe doesn't have time for it very often he has to make sure that he knows and make sure that the child's learning learning the skills that that he has to learn to be able to learn so what's what's so important is the development of the child is has to, and that's maybe what the Rebbe should be doing primarily, but you can't do that in in in, in the fact. Um, you, can, you can help out, but but to have every every children dropping out and so on, all, all that starts starts 11, 12, 13 years old, and at that point, having a mashkiach in the yeshiva to, to so Reb Dovakron was a mashkiach in that Yisrael. Mm-hmm. He's a Rebbe, I went to Shia, and I developed a very, very warm relationship. With Reb David, Shia, Baruch Hashem learned well with my Harusa with Pemphus Lipner. And at the end of the year, my year was up. It's time for me to go to Brooklyn College, go to Chaim Berlin, and to Brooklyn College at night. And my brother, Yisrael, uh, came with a few friends on a trip to go. They went to Washington, they stayed in Baltimore, and then the, um, uh, over Shabbos, I think it was, and they went to Washington. They were going back Sunday, they were going back to. Uh, it was in June. They were going back to New York, and I was hitch a ride. When I get a ride back from Baltimore to New York with my brother, mm-hmm. um, so I went. It was a, like a week or two earlier from the end of this month. I went to David on my sorry Shabbos, I think it was, and asked him permission to leave a week earlier to go to New York. He says, "Why do you want to go a week earlier?" I said, "We'll have a ride." And also supposed to have to register in college for Brooklyn College next year. So he said, so if you're leaving, why are you asking permission? Go. Just leave. What are you asking for shoes? That's Mashkiach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he says, fine, you're leaving. You're going to Brooklyn College. You know, go. You have to come ask me permission for that? Go. I wasn't happy with that response, and, and I discussed it with my brother, and my brother said, look, you were here for a year, and you developed a relationship. He says, you know, maybe you shouldn't, uh, maybe go back. And I went to Rabbi Weinberg, who was party to my decision originally to come for a year. He says, go back to Rabbi David and, and explain to me, you came for a year. So I went to Mason. The original plan was, was to come, was to come for, for a year. year right? Yeah. So maybe I never discussed it with Rabbi David, so maybe he didn't mm-hmm. understand. He thought I was going to stay in the Yeshiva. I went after davening to Rabdov in the base of Medish, and in the middle of the base of Medish, he starts yelling at me. You have no cupboard for your Abdayim, you the, go, go, get out of here. <laughs> like, uh, so I said to my brother, look, you know, so I said, look, where are you going? I have to go. So rather, Rib Nussan Liner was there, and Nolte Bacher, at that time, I don't think he was married. And Rib Nussan Liner says, you know, I'm going to go a year, for, I'm going to go next week. I'll give you the ride. Stay the extra week. In the meantime, we discussed, and there Yisrael had an arrangement with like, all the college. You can go to college. You learn to get credits for the yeshiva, which at that time you didn't have a Chaim Berlin. Uh, so maybe it's good to, to stay, to give up the scholarship and the good. Mm-hmm. 
So after she, I didn't go to Shia that morning, but after Shia, I went over to Reb David, and Reb David saw me standing by the doorway of the Shia room, and he said, are you coming again to explain to me why you're leaving? Or are you coming to be Shia Leitzer? So I said, I now have, you know, you see that maybe there's a possibility, maybe I should stay. He said, oh, that's a different story. Come on, if there's arm around me, opened up a tricky office. If for all the money in the world, I won't leave a up in Torah. You've been sitting and learning here, you're steiging, and so on, now you're going to go. At any rate, I went for one year, I stayed in the Israel for 12. Wow. <laughs> later on, years later, I found out that my brother Yisrael, Zohar went secretly to Reb David and told Reb David, don't let me go back. Then I go back, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to go to a mathematician, but what I wanted to do, the mice is here, I was becoming a mentor and so on, I was growing, growing and, wow. and learning and, and he encouraged me to. So, so Reb David didn't stop, start yelling. He was, mm-hmm. with, he was with a cheshman. He was a cheshman, he felt that was the way to, to convince me and to, to work with me and, and, and I had my double dealing brother give me advice you know well, maybe you shouldn't leave and so yeah, yeah. behind your back he was the one that's, uh, yeah so so, um, so you see again the, the, the influence the small, small story a little incident that somebody can have and somebody else makes a, makes a world of a difference when did you find out that your brother um, you know many years, to, I, don't, I don't remember many years later no no like well what was your reaction by then, it was it was appreciation. Mm-hmm. Right? By, by then, uh, it was appreciation that uh, certainly that 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 was a major difference in my career path in, in terms of what I, I was going to be doing mm-hmm. in, in life. And, and, and Baruch Hashem, you mentioned, you was know, to, to to be involved with Daily Israel and to be able to, to to have influence on on some so many things in, in going on in the world. When, when I retired from the Agud at, at the convention, I said over a bar from Ramat the CEO Solomon, when Mispaled during the Aserse Mechuva, Avinu Malkenu, Kosveinu Besefer Zechuyas. Write us in the Sefer Zechuyas. And Ramat the CEO asked, if you did the, the things that you were supposed to do, then you're in the Sefer Zechuyas. And if you didn't do it, then you're not. Then you're asking the Benjamin to write a lie? Put me in the same system, even though I don't think you either are. You're not. Either, either you're not. Or not. So what's the feeler of even Malkenu? Because we're right us in the same as the in the Gaiutei And he brilliantly said, "Is what we're asking Hakadosh Baruch Hu is to write us in the Sefer to have the opportunity to have Sefer. Give us an opportunity. Give us the money we can give to a poor and have a poor person come to us. We can give. Is it have the person who needs a Chesed to come? Mm. Give me the opportunity to learn with somebody." Give me, give me the opportunity to to do these things. That's the feel that we have from Hakadosh Baruch Hu, Is that's what we ask Hakadosh Baruch Hu from us. So Baruch Hashem, the Rambam answered my tefillah. I had the opportunity from the from the, that decision of staying in the Yisrael and going there, and many other other steps as we went along in life. Is that He gave me the opportunity to to do good things and to be Mikdash Hashem and to. And to, and to, to listen to Gedele Yisrael and follow Gedele Yisrael and teach what Gedele Yisrael have. And that, and that, so, so very, very appreciative of that.
So like we mentioned, you were, you were there, you stayed for as a Talmud, then you became a Rebbe, and you were average there after you know, getting married for 12 years uh, in Baltimore. Um, and after that, you moved to, uh, to be the executive director in St. Louis. So kind of how, well, what was the story there? How did that happen? Uh, so they, they were married. Uh, uh, actually, uh, my wife had, uh, had been brought up in a modern Orthodox family. And one year she said, you know, let me go live full time. She had some neighbors who were very, very special people, the Shwais, Satmar Hasidim. And she became very close to the family, and she saw what 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 what, what Yerushalayim was, and what 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 terrible full terror life was. So it was an influence on her, and she said, "Let me take a summer, and let me go to a camp where I can be full time in that type of an atmosphere." Mm-hmm. And so it's just campinos. It's kind of to get the experience. Get the experience of living together with with. Um, um, with these people in this community. Um, so she went for an interview to Rabbi Baruch Bochad, who was the executive director of the camp, and then he was the executive director of Agnes Yisrael at the time, um, who knew me well from my years working in, with, uh, in Pirche and, and, uh, and Agnes Yisrael. And uh, he interviewed her, and right after the interview, he says, that's good for Shmuel Blom. Hmm. And uh, he read the Shidduch, and... Uh, didn't go, and he's flat, but which went back and forth, and, and but ultimately, very, very, also one of the major decisions, one of the most positive decisions, one of the most influential decisions in the type of life that I live in, the type of family we brought up, is when I married my wife. Um, we were married in, in New York. I was a Rebbe at that time in Baltimore when I first got married, then I went to Kettle, learned with Rebbe Fine Eisenberg, the Adam of Rebbe Martha Gifta, um, for a year in Kettle. And uh, my wife, Professor became pregnant, and she was teaching in public school at the time. And um, she didn't, without realizing it, um, she had German measles because there were no symptoms. It was asymptomatic. Um, they suspected it because they suspected that there was there was the last uh, epidemic of German measles before the rubella vaccine. The German measles didn't it wasn't it wasn't a serious machel like Corona. Mm-hmm. But it affected uh, pregnant women, mm-hmm. and pregnant women affects the babies, and the babies suffered all types of uh, effects. Without realizing it, we had uh, my wife's baby, our daughter, what is the oldest daughter, Elisheva, as my wife had uh, German measles, and my daughter was born with a serious hearing impairment. She was almost basically deaf. She was. A bright girl, so she fooled everybody, and she. Um, we even had places where amateurs would test them, um, uh, would test it to see was if they put something behind her back, and so on. And she was able to catch everything. So they they weren't able to confirm that maybe nervous parents would think this. But when she was about uh, twelve or thirteen months old, um, we took her to. We were in Baltimore. We took her to Johns Hopkins University. Well, like till then she couldn't talk, so like it was harder to know right. if she could hear or not. Right, right. She wasn't talking. Right, she wasn't talking well. There were signs, but not serious, and we didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. So they did an audiological test, and the chief audiologist, the chairman of the audiology department, Dr. Vincent Hardy, sat us down, young parents, and said, "I don't have to let you know that your daughter has a very serious uh, hearing impairment." 
Um, there was a shock, obviously, to the old parents. He, he, Especially as um, the first child. The first child. He actually taught us something which is, which is something which a benefit we have a life, uh, for life in, in explaining the education of the deaf. He explained that we don't really hear with our ears. The mm-hmm. ear is a Kaylee to catch sound, catch sound waves. The sound then goes to the brain. Those sound, those waves, those electric waves then go to the brain. And the brain decides what to hear. So we hear with our brain, not with our ears. The mm-hmm. problem was in this case that the transmission from the ear to the, from the ear to the brain was, was, was affected. And because of that, they weren't getting to the brain. Now, one marshal is when a baby cries, right? The mother hears it right away. The father sleeps through it. Is it the mother's hearing is better than the, the father's? No, the father, the brain. mother said, the brain says, I want to hear them when the baby cries. And the father says, I want to sleep. I want right? to sleep. So, yeah. turn it off. <laughs> so, yeah. so he turns it off. So he, he doesn't. He says, so the, 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 um, um, uh, the, the brain and and from there we the mice is I, I say it, it goes much more beyond that HaKadosh Baruch Hu talks to us all the time HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends us messages it is but you have to hear it you have to hear it with the brain not with the ears mm-hmm. is, you have to see the things that are going on HaKadosh Baruch Hu is talking to us all the time he's continuous giving us message it is but if you don't listen to it if you don't pay attention to it if you don't use the brain you don't hear it uh, it's so true. Like you see, I mean, and everything around, especially now, you know, past year with the corona, the war, all the tragedies, it's like, you know, it's not just random stuff happening. It's Hashem talking to us. We need to sit and, you know, it's very clear. What, what is Hashem telling us? Yeah. And, and I heard recently, it's Rabbi Bronstein, Rabbi Mayor Bronstein, the Rabbi there, Gurdjieff in, in Long Island, told me that, um, instead of for, for Rashach, Bashem Rashach, the Gemara talks by 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 Churban uh, Abayis. We're recording right before Tisha B'Av. Churban Abayis. The Gemara goes through. Nobody understood why. They asked the Chachamim. They asked the Nevi'im. They asked everybody. They, no, nobody understood why the problem. Until it came to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, Hakadosh Baruch Hu Shalim Baruch Hu B'Tarachilo, whatever that means. He says the other. Rav Shach is, if we don't know why, what benefit is it? If we know there's something happening because of X, so we know we could correct X, and we take away the problem. But if we have Yisurim, if you have a corona, you have buildings falling, and, and everything's happening, and you and you don't, you have the Churban Abayas, and the Chachamim, and the Vim, and that, nobody knows why. So how can you become better? How can you learn from it? If you don't learn from it, it's wasted. All the corona people said, I want to come out with it. We should go back to like before corona. Chas v'shalom. Chas v'shalom should be like before corona. Then it was all wasted. What have we learned from it? How are we different? So mm-hmm. Shach answered, there are two who know why. HaKadosh Baruch Hu and each one of us. Each one of us can make a cheshman. We know the reason. We know how it affects us. We know how to listen. Deep down, each one of us, we're the only ones who really know each other, ourselves. And we know what our Kodesh Baruch is telling us. We got to know we have to listen. No, it's so true that, like, you know, if it's just, oh, it happened, okay, let's move on. Uh, But no, obviously it happens, you know, like, you know, everything happens for a reason. So 
you know, what is Hashem trying to tell us to, you know, to change and so, so it shouldn't happen again, chas v'shalom. Right. Um, and what, what do you think? Obviously, it's, you know, also the big stuff, but also, you know, every small thing in life is all, you know, different signs from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Um, what could one do to, like, notice better these signs? And another question would be is how, like, how to make sure that you're understanding the sign in the right way, that you're kind of, you know, changing the right thing and understanding right. the message correctly. So, hearing, you have to use your brain. You have to think. Are you thinking the right way? Reb Levenstein, I heard a shmus from him, Parshat Bullock. I was in B'nai Brak. I went to listen to shmus. And he says, it's Mavalarayan. It's shocking. Bilam, if you listen to Bilam, you see, Bilam is a tzaddik. Bilam says, I don't do anything without the Rabbi Mishalim. I can't say a word. I told you I can't do anything with it. You look 10 times, 15 times in the parasha. He keeps on saying, I'm the Rabbi Mishalim. He's a tzaddik. Comes to my boy. What did they say? Bill Marosha. Means. 
and you know, it was before cochlear implants, which is a whole other story. But uh, mm-hmm. we had that. So we went, spent a lot of time in training, training ourselves, how to train Elisheva, our daughter, Baruch Hashem. Today, she's a grandmother with mm-hmm. and all hearing because it wasn't, it wasn't hereditary. It was because of the, the German measles. When she was four years old, we needed a hearing educating society. And in Baltimore, there wasn't, most of them were signing. They, they, they were using sign language. Mm-hmm. So we had to look for another place to go. There was one school in North Happen in Massachusetts. There was no Jewish community there. There was another central institute for the deaf, which was one of the best schools in the country, in St. Louis, Missouri. So we called them up. We'd like to come for an interview. And they said, they started laughing. Interview. This was the last, there was just a, an epidemic of, you know how many children were born deaf? Is we have a way uh, that list. was one of the big list. thing that it affected. Uh, uh, yeah, many children were affected with, with hearing losses. Okay, so we started looking for other opportunities, other other possibilities, and we got a call from Kenneth Spetner in Oshelim in St. Louis, and he said, "We have a yeshiva here. We're looking for an executive director. You're the associate executive director of Rabbi Newberger, and Nay um, Cyril, uh, and we'd like you to come and take a job here, or at least interview for a job." So I said, "There's no way." Uh, we wanted to leave Navy Searle or the job or take a job in the executive director of in St. Louis. But I have a daughter. We'd like to go to Central Institute for the Deaf. They won't even look at us. Mm. You arrange for an appointment with them, and I'll come down and take a look at the yeshiva. Dr. Lester Zephyrin, who was a member of the board of the yeshiva, was also friendly with some of the people on the board of Central Institute of the Deaf. And sure enough, we got an appointment, got an appointment, and she got accepted to Central Institute of the Deaf, and I accepted the job as executive director of St. Louis Rabbinical College mm-hmm. uh, in, in St. Louis. Five and a half years later, to make story short, a lot of happened in between, but five yeah. and a half years later, um, she was able to go to a regular school already, and I told wow. them that he was able to go to a regular school. She was going to go in Far Rockaway to Tag, and I said that um, I gave notice in December that the Hashem in June I would be leaving. We should find another executive director. And within a week, I got a call from Mendy Shewitz that the Aguda was opening a program called Project Hope, a government-funded program for employment, and they would like me to be the director of vocational education. Mm-hmm. Like me to come to New York. So I said, "Did anybody tell you that I was leaving St. Louis?" They said, "No." And, but they needed me in January. So mm-hmm. I discussed it with the yeshiva, they worked it out, and January 20th of 1975, I um, became the director of vocational education at Vista Searle, and the rest will have to leave for another time. Mm-hmm. So just, uh, yeah, we're at out of time. We definitely will be back for, uh, you know, more episodes to talk about uh, different stuff. To Just uh, maybe finish off, uh, one last question. Um, what do you think is the the secret to you know accomplishing so much? The secret is very simple. The simple secret is we don't accomplish. I um, it's all siyat neshmai. Whatever we do is if we have siyat neshmai, it works. If we don't, we don't. I I uh, give a class in in Ersameach and Erlagola and fundraising, and I tell the story. I went to Toronto to raise money together with Rabbi Avram Rubenstein today, the mayor Bnei Brak. We went to Toronto to collect money for Karen Ashvias. We got a brochure from Ham Kanevsky. And we went there, and it was unbelievable. Everybody we called was in, gave us appointments. We asked them for money. They gave us money. 
He gave us more than we asked them. Sometimes it was magnificent. We brought Hashem. And Rabbi Ram Rubenstein, the Talmud, the Muvik of Rabbi Kanevsky, said, you see the bracha of Rabbi Kanevsky, we have the bracha, you see, it, it works. And, and we were very much there. So I th- said yes, but in my heart of hearts, I had a machshav zora. I said, yeah, it's a bracha for Rabbi Kanevsky, it's very nice, but we did a good job. We had a nice presentation. From there, I went to Los Angeles. I went to Los Angeles. I couldn't get an appointment. Nothing. <laughs> Nobody answered my phone calls. Nobody. Gave the people I went to, I went to for Shabbos because they're going to give me a big contribution. I asked them for for, for whatever what he called. They gave me eighteen hundred dollars instead of eighteen thousand dollars. He gave me eighteen hundred dollars. Is it, it? It turned all the way around. So if I wasn't, if I didn't realize it before, I realize now when I tell them in fundraising, especially, but it's in everything in life. Is it's all siyata d'shmaya. HaKadosh Baruch Hu does, HaKadosh Baruch Hu accomplishes. We have to be mishtado. We have to do our peace. And if we do our peace, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will help us and we have Hatzlocha and we'll siyata d'shmaya and we'll it'll be accomplished. What a great episode. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you learned something new. Hope you were able to put something in your pocket for life. We had so many incredible stories, so many important life lessons, and this was just the beginning. Next week, we are going to be back. We're going to have many more episodes with Rabbi Bloom about many different topics and different stuff that he was involved throughout the years. So stay tuned for that. Make sure you're subscribed. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're watching on iTunes and Spotify or wherever it is, make sure you follow, subscribe. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you share it with friends, family, that they could enjoy the beautiful stories from Rabbi Bloom as well. Also, if you have any questions, you could send an email to info at jfoundations.com or send a WhatsApp to plus 972-55-711-6220. Thank you for watching. We will be back next week. 